Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Pastor Zellner and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Welcome back to Conversations. I'm your host, Will Leitner. We're sitting here with my pastor, Eric Zellner. Eric, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Will. (laughs) We are excited because we're about to start a series on the five solas, um, the five alones of the Reformation. And the first one that we'll be talking about today is Sola Scriptura. So, Pastor Eric, if you could just walk us through the backdrop and sort of define what the doctrine is and yeah, let's have a conversation about Scripture alone. Sure. Um, you know, the, the doctrine of sola scriptura begins uh, the question of, of authority. And so at the time when the Protestant Reformation begins to break out, people in the, in the church are basically beginning to ask the question, uh, who is the final voice of authority over us um, as, as God's people? The church, the Roman Catholic Church, was saying it's a it's a combination of three. They would say it's the it's the church traditions, including councils and uh, and things which have been interpreted by the church. Uh, secondly, it would be the the Pope when he sits on his throne ex cathedra and speaks. Um, and then the third would be would be the Bible. the The challenge that began to arise for the Roman Catholic Church is that people began to uh, get the scriptures in their own languages. It had previously been in Latin since the time of Jerome, and most people by the time of the Protestant Reformation, 1400s, 1500s, they they don't speak or read Latin. And in fact, many of the priests do not speak or read Latin. And so as individuals begin to get the Bible translated in their language, uh, they begin to recognize that the Bible seems to contradict things that they are being taught or have been told uh, in in the church. For instance, there is a practice with that is, includes, and this is what is most egregious to Luther, it's the fact of selling indulgences, which would be uh, dropping money in the, the coffers of the church and thereby the, the lesson was taught that you, by your gift, can spring someone from purgatory. So Luther is uh, deeply uh, involved in studying the book of Romans and other portions of the Bible, and he comes to the clear conclusion that the Bible is actually teaching that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He reads Romans 5, and he is deeply troubled by the fact that uh, – well, he's deeply troubled by the fact that for the most of his life he's been flogging himself for having, for having never lived up to what he believed he was, should do. Um, then he comes to Romans 5, and he finds this concept of faith, uh, and he suddenly realizes there's a freedom here that he did not know. And so the question of authority becomes a big deal. Now, the reason that the reason that Luther raises it in the way it's raised and the reason that it becomes such a, an important sola of the Reformation is because with this question of authority, uh, God's people have to be able to decide when when these th- when these three disagree, what's the ultimate and final authority right. for how what I'm to believe and how I'm to live? 
Um, and so incidentally, I, I didn't probably say this in the beginning, sola just simply means alone. And so sola scriptura means that scripture alone stands as the ultimate and final authority for God's people. That's basically how I would define it. Right. And just to clarify, it, I guess it's like if we were putting any doctrine up in a court case, what is our final appeal? And the Bible is the final appeal of this is how we know what we believe and how we know what is true. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um and Will, as you know, Luther's real problem and many of the other uh, reformers' problem was that there were so many times that church councils would disagree with each other, um, and so many times that one pope who preceded another would disagree and change the church's official teaching on a particular matter. Uh, and so it was a it was a crucial moment in the history of the church for the reformers to say God's Word ultimately must be the one last place where all of our final authority rests. If church councils disagree with the Bible, the Bible's right. If the Pope disagrees with the Bible, the Bible's right. right. If places of my own heart disagree with the Bible, the Bible's right. That's so. great. So I guess we've talked a lot about the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so is Sola Scriptura in the Bible? And where do we see verses in the passage of Scripture that would support um, the Reformers' claims? Sure. Well, the heart of what we're, what, what we're saying and the Reformers were, were saying, uh, and, and, and this should be pretty obvious, right? We all know or we recognize as believers that, that God is, is the ultimate and final authority, that Jesus is the ultimate and final authority. But the question of Sola Scriptura is, is fairly open and shut when you recognize that the Bible makes an internal claims to being the actual words of that God who is authority, right? So 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 14 through 17, it, it basically says, as, as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. This is Paul talking to Timothy which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That particular passage is uh, a really uh, simple, succinct way of stating that God as the authority has spoken. And here, this is in, in this particular passage, you have the substance of faith is found in Jesus Christ, and you also have everything of life is to be lived from the Scripture itself. The other place that you know people commonly use comes from Second Peter, chapter one. I mean, excuse me, yeah, Second Peter one. It's verse twenty-one. It says, "For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God." as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So even the church historically has understood that the Spirit of God is that which proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so the Spirit of God is the one who empowered these men to speak. Um, and by speaking, they're actually communicating the very words of God. Of course, you, you also know John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, those who read John's Gospel in its original Greek recognized that that John is talking about this divine logos, uh, the wisdom of God, which has now been made manifest in a human being, 
uh, who is also God, and that word is Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 1 also says, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right? The very word of God came to us by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so when you take Hebrews 1 and you recognize that the prophets were given God's word from God, and then now the Lord has spoken through Jesus, and John says, well, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then both Peter and Paul say, all scripture flows forth from the Holy Spirit given to men. Then you suddenly recognize that the authority, and this is why it has super relevance today, the authority of, of God's word standing up over and above everything else is because it is the very word of God. Right. And I think these things, people, I think, have a hard time believing that the Bible is completely you know, perfect right. and that God inspired it. But it's really, I think, pretty I guess it's more simple than most people realize. I mean, it's God speaks to the prophets, and the prophets write these things down. Mm-hmm. And then God takes on flesh and lives and speaks, and people write those things down. That's right. And then the apostles are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they write those things down. That's right. Um, so I think it's yeah. I think it's a lot simpler for – I think it's a little bit easier for people to understand than most people realize. Hmm. So a lot of the passages that we've talked about – kind of prove that there's something special about the scripture that it is from God himself but maybe not necessarily that it has the ultimate final trump of the church and the church traditions and right i think two passages that come to mind for me when we talk about which one has the final authority is Matthew 15 and Acts chapter 15 so in Matthew 15 you have the Pharisees and the scribes coming to Jesus and asking him why the disciples break the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they fe- uh, when they eat and Jesus says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor, honor your mother and father, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. Mm-hmm. So for the sake of your tradition, you made void the word of God, you hypocrites. And so you see that Jesus is putting the tradition of man right next to the word of god and he says that you're actually breaking you're making void the word of god mm-hmm. by following the traditions of men so the bible has the authority over the traditions of men that's a really important passage because jesus is he is literally taking god's word and setting it over over and above the traditions of men and that's that's the the cultural moment into which he speaks right and then when you have 1500 years later the exact same discussion taking place, we need to be ready to grab Jesus' words and say, always the Word of God stands right. over and above the traditions of men. Uh, the Acts 15 passage, I think, is really good, too. The uh, A lot of the apostles are coming together to have a discussion about whether circumcision is essential for salvation, mm-hmm. because now they have all these Gentiles coming into the church that aren't do not have circumcision. And so they go into their argument, and one thing that I think... Um, it says here in verse 15, or sorry, in verse 14, um, James says, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name, verse 15. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as, just as it is written. And then he quotes from Amos chapter 9. And so you see that James is, the church is making a decision. 
that circumcision is not essential for salvation, but their decision, their authoritative decision, is authoritative because it agrees with what the prophets have already said in Amos chapter 9. That's a great point. So the church has authority, but it's it must it only has authority when it follows what scripture has actually said. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the heart of the question. You know, people will ask, does the does the church not have authority? Because even in the PCA, in our own church, uh, we we recognize that the church has a measure of authority. There's elders, there's a system of church government, and we recognize that all of that uh, is in a sense authoritative. But none of it is authoritative because it comes from good ideas of men. Uh, the church's authority is is completely found in that which the word of God has already said. Mm-hmm. So therefore, when when whether it's you or me or um, a massive denomination makes a choice or a decision concerning a matter of faith, what to believe or practice, how to live, and it contradicts the scripture, the scripture always wins. Right. So, I think that's you know that's where the the heart of this. Uh, comes together for us totally um some quick quotes from some old guys yeah give it to Um, us this is basil on the holy spirit he says we are not content simply because this is the tradition of the fathers what is important is that the fathers followed the meaning of scripture Mm -hmm. um and then augustine on the unity of the church whoever dissents from the sacred scriptures even if they are found in all places in which the church is designated are not the church so the church is run and governed and submissive to God's word, always. Yeah, that's great. Those are great quotes, and it's helpful to to hear those from from guys long, very early in the church, right? Um, so it tells you that something was different, and something had changed pretty radically, right, from those early centuries to the time that we get to the Protestant Reformation. Pastor Zoner, what would you say to someone that says there's no divine table of contents? I thought the church has the authority because they actually decided what books of the Bible are there. Hmm. That's a that's a great question. Um, yeah, I think at some level, people from the outside of the church would would tend to look at the Bible and they would go, "Well, I, I think there was probably some picking and choosing." I've read I've read lots of books from critical scholars that that give a lot of credit to something that's a really fanciful uh, wish, and that is that that the various parts of the church scattered all over the known world somehow came together uh, and cleverly uh, with, you know, maybe they had 45 different options of, of possible books for the Bible, and they, they voted, and they drew some of these out and threw them away. And then, and then whatever seemed to be consistent with the overall teaching they were trying to uh, bring forth, well, that's the stuff they kept. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that is, um, well, not only is it fanciful, it's really kind of 2021 thinking. Um, when the church is scattered abroad, the way that the way that that the canon of Scripture, meaning the core books of the Bible, begin to be uh, recognized as authoritative, is uh, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and that letter at Corinth is read in Corinth, and it's also passed over to Ephesus and Colossae and uh, the, um, Thessalonica and other places. And so these churches begin to circulate the letters that are written to them from the various apostles. So um, it is not that the church sat down and dis- and decided to discover the canon and create a canon. Um, it doesn't pick and choose. It is rather that the church um, that the church had it coming forward from the apostles. Mm-hmm. So um, 
it is not a picking and choosing. It was obvious. Right. And it was so obvious that by the, you know, by the second century, you have a very clear core canon of Scripture. And there's internal evidence also where, where Peter speaks of Paul's writings as the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and and various things like that where the in, inside the Scripture, it's actually affirming the other letters of the apostles as the actual Word of God. Right. So it's astounding. Um, I was think about how people say, you know, Newton didn't uh, find or come up with the laws of gravity. He he really just discovered the laws of gravity yeah. in the same way that the church did not um, choose what was Scripture. They just more actually discovered what mm. was Scripture. And was, so yeah. when you look at, like, the letter of Paul to um, the Romans, what makes Romans Scripture? Is it because the church chose it or because Paul, an apostle, given authority directly from Christ, wrote it down. Yeah. And so that's what's that is why the the church did not, you know, formulate the Bible. The Bible was always Bible. And yeah. the canon has always been there. It was just on the church to to find it. You know, your your comment makes me think, you know, having just finished First Corinthians, uh, it's funny how often the Apostle Paul wants to make the point that if you were to disagree and, and have um, theological discussions with an apostle on matters of uh, central matters of doctrine, uh, you are wrong. Which is a, this is arrogant kind of claims, unless these men are utterly certain that Jesus has been the one who has given them His word. Right. And so when they pass that on, I mean, nobody. And by the way, nobody would follow that kind of arrogance unless it was authoritatively proven throughout the early church. Right. Um, so anyway, I think that's um, an important and salient point. So when we look at Soul Scriptura, what would you say to somebody who says, so what, is this important to my life at all? Um, what would yeah. you say to that? Well, I think authority and in uh, authority in general is currently on the cultural chopping block, Right. And, and what I mean by that is is most people in our present day are questioning matters of authority in general. So outside in the world, people want to know who is it who actually has the right to tell me what to think, what to do, how to act. Um, and because of that, Sola Scriptura is probably as, as relevant, if not more, today than it was a long time ago. In, in the Protestant Reformation, the, the debate is whether the Pope and the church traditions have the authority. But today, uh, and this is how I would want to preach it in, in our own church, today the question is, uh, I think I have my own authority. I think I get to govern and rule my own life. Mm-hmm. And the Bible makes it really clear that God's Word is in itself the authority over us. Some people don't know what it says— but it still bears witness against us. For those who know what it says, it's even more important, right? When I read in a place of Scripture uh, where and, and I find that my sin uh, is comes in, contra- um, in contrast with what the Word of God says, uh, there's a moment where my heart must say, I'm not the authority. Right. God's Word's actually the authority over me. 
So if I'm going to follow Christ, if I'm going to enjoy the blessings of a relationship with God that he's given to me, I want to bend my heart to the authority of God's word. Absolutely. Um, and so that's that's one way. But I also, I also think there's been a movement within the last uh, 30 or 40 years in the United States of America. And I think my my read on this may be totally wrong, but it seems to me that there's been a movement from from mega churches. I've watched people leave broad evangelicalism and in their older age move to Catholicism. And and many who are doing that are saying we're looking for something that's lasting, that's rooted in tradition, right? That that's actually got historical substance to it. Um and and I think I, hey, I can actually affirm that. I, I like that conceptually. Um, but I want to make sure that when I'm leaving the mega church to go find that which is rooted in something historical, that I'm willing to take uh, the places of history and say, well, that actually contradicts the Bible. The places where the Pope has spoken in ways that are counter to the Scripture. I want to go to the Scriptures and say, that's actually the, the deciding factor right. on where I will go. Um, so anyway, I don't well, know. That... And this is another rabbit trail, but talking about the idea of apostolic succession of, you know, for me, one thing that gives me a lot of confidence is I believe that I have gotten um, an apostolic succession in doctrine, as in I believe what Paul believes and I believe what Peter believes. Yeah. I don't believe I, I'm not at my church because I think that I have a physical hand to hand passed down from the apostles. Yeah. But I actually have a spiritual passed down from the mm. apostles where I believe what they have passed down f- from doctrine. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, <laughs> Bible. I mean, the Bible is the substance of, of where we get the church's doctrine, right? And so uh, you are far more rooted in the historic doctrine of the church if you're far more rooted in the scriptures of the church. Right. Right. So I think it really helps to apologetics wise or really just conversations with um, non believers when you say, you know that's that's your so your opinion is that God would send people to hell and we can confidently say no that's not my opinion mm-hmm. Th- this is God's opinion yeah. because we get it from God Himself and His Word. Well, and and that and you know the word the whole world is full of opinions and nobody needs to ask me my opinion about when when their car is making a funny sound. Eric, what do you think's going on with my car? Uh, my opinion isn't super relevant, right? Uh, if a doctor. Uh, comes to me and says, hey, Eric, I've got this patient, and here's his symptoms. Uh, He doesn't really need to listen to me on that. I don't have any training in fixing cars or medicine. Uh, What what Sola Scriptura is primarily saying is there's only one opinion that matters, and it's really that which the Word of God says. And, you know, that, that also takes us, of course, to the fact that the Scripture is plain and clear. It can be understood. It's not a it's not a vast puzzle that has to be pieced together, uh, and it should. It is useful for us to really study the scriptures and recognize that 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 which the Lord intends for us to know can be clearly understood right. from reading it. It's really a blessing that we know that we can hear from God Himself and given us all we need to know for matters of faith that's and practice. Exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, thank you so much for the time, Pastor Zellner. Yeah, thank, thank you for you, sitting and having a conversation with us. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you much. Take care.